Hey guys, this is our weekly podcast by Cornerstone Church of Ione. We're so glad that you decided to join. We are a church family passionate about seeing people worship Jesus, grow in their faith, and serve those around them. If you would like to learn more about Cornerstone, please visit us at cornerstoneione.org, or you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Happy Father's Day. Um, before we get going this morning, I do have a, two things that I want to discuss momentarily before we get into the sermon, but if you want to open your Bibles to get to the right place, we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 21, 5 through 38. We're going to be talking about uh, the end times, all of the calamities and persecutions. So, <laughs> all right. Um, before we get there, though, I did want to say a couple things. Uh, my wife, Emily has been the uh, women's ministry team leader for four and a half years. Um, that means she has uh, helped put together and, and lead around 22 women's events. Uh, she works very closely with five other women on the team over those years. Uh, f- uh, there was a time where there was a wi- women's tea around Christmas time, and we didn't set up uh, this big fake Christmas tree. It's like 10 or 12 or 100 feet. I'm not sure. It's, it's just really big. And, uh, and it's up in the attic. And usually when it's time to set that up, you know, there's several grown men uh, that go and get that thing somehow down. You've got to put it the right way, right? Otherwise, the tree branches, like, just get stuck in the opening. And you get it out and set up. And so that women's tea comes around, and she wants that Christmas tree up. And I'm like, babe, like, it's going to take several people to get that. And, you know, I got the kids during nap time. I don't know, like, how this is going. She's like, I'll do it. I'm like, no. Like, you don't understand. This is a really large tree. Like, it takes several people, and she's like, I'll do it. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, you know, like 911 on standby waiting for the, you know, injury. And uh, sure enough, uh, she sets this tree up completely by herself. She takes 60-pound uh, round tables, and uh, she brings them from out in the shed um, all the way up the ramp uh, and then into here and sets those uh, all up. And she kind of likes to work alone. I know it's Father's Day, but for Mother's Day, sometimes you're like, I would rather set up a 15-foot Christmas tree and roll 60-pound tables around uh, and just get a break, right? And so she's like, trust me, Brian, I got it. Stay with the kids. Let me have this time alone. So she goes, she would do things like that. She uh, would be the first at these events, um, and then also she'd be coming home at midnight after washing dishes and vacuuming everything up after these events. Uh, She listens to needs, desires, and ideas, and boils, and merges them down into a couple events every year, because um, my philosophy around men's and uh, women's ministry is that there's a couple men's events, there's a couple women's events, um, and then there are group church events that uh, those, those specific ministries get the men and women too, but what we don't want is a women's church and a men's church, and we try to protect against that. So a couple events a year, and so she takes all these ideas, all of your thoughts, ideas, the things you're excited about, the things you hate, and tries to merge them down into a couple events a year, around five. Now she planned and organized those events, and uh, some of them were one day, and some of them were several days, some of them were local, some of them uh, you drove hours to get to. Some of them were free, and some of them were thousands of dollars. Um, she, uh, she also plans uh, events that are indoors sometimes, and then other events that are outdoors. Uh, she actually drugged me. Uh, no, she didn't dra- drag me. Uh, we together went to uh, one of the hikes that the women just did over at Comanche, 
And uh, so I get to then test out uh, the women's events sometimes like that. Uh, she has thousands of conversations regarding women's struggles, uh, the events, the, uh, their concerns, their complaints, their hurts, their pains, their fears, their joy, their successes, their praises, their tears, and their laughter. And there's hundreds of phone conversations and thousands of text messages that she's had, all the while having four to five kids. Not that we have, we don't know how many we have, but when she started, we had four, and when now she is ending, we have five. She's a mother to those. She has a part-time business, and she has to be married to me through all of this. And so for four and a half years, she has taken that on and made something of that and, uh, and kind of loved and cared for the ladies at Cornerstone. And uh, it is, she has decided that now it's time for her to hand that off. And so I know she's not in this service, but she will probably be here in between services. So do me a favor. Uh, if, if you have at all experienced a women's, the women's ministry, whether you are a part of that or you are a, a husband of a wife who has benefited from it, uh, tell Emily thank you, give her a hug, whatever, um, because uh, she is going to be handing that off um, to somebody else now. And so she spent a lot of hard work there. And, and just like any other ministry, if you're part of any other ministry of Cornerstone, people see 40% of what you do, right? And 60% nobody sees. So just keep that in mind also. So anyways, I just wanted to brag on her for a little bit. Um, there's been several uh, position changes in the last uh, couple months, and we've, we've tried to do that with all of them, that there's these people doing a lot of, a lot of difficult work, sacrificing uh, for the sake of leading ministries, and we appreciate that. And Emily's one of them. So... Uh, in between services, when you see her, look for her, see her, and say something to her, okay? And uh, so, yeah, that's that. Secondly, uh, I will not be here next week. Uh, I am going to be going to a wedding. Well, actually, it ends up being two weddings on the same day. Uh, but I'm going up there. I'm going to shock you guys right now. Joel Buvin is getting married. Did you guys know that? Do you guys remember who that is? He was like this tall. Joel Beaving is getting married, and to even further uh, attempt to take your breath away, I'm going to show you a picture of him and his fiance. Here's a picture of Joel and his fiance. Isn't that, isn't, like, I literally, every time I see it, I'm like, I can't believe Joel is getting married. Like, I'm still like, I think he's 12, but he's getting married. And then if you're like, wait, like, I remember Joel kind of a little more like, like goofy and silly. The next picture, I think he's still the same way there. So anyways, uh, I get to go up there and go to that wedding, so I'm going to be gone next weekend. So CJ will be preaching next week, and so if you're like, where did Brian go? Um, did he give up? Uh, no. Uh, I'm just going to this wedding, and I think that'll be kind of neat. Uh, he was in the youth program when I was the youth pastor here. Um, he's the previous pastor's son um, also, so it'll be kind of neat to go up there and uh, see, see them all, and especially see, see Joel getting married. All right, so with that, let's pray, and then let's dive into the Word here. Father, we thank you for another week where we can come and we can worship and praise you and glorify you, and that we can, in the midst of uh, the summer where some of us, it just gets absolutely, insanely busy, even ministry-wise, we have soccer camp coming up, there's just a thousand things going on. We get to just take a breath and focus on ultimately what's important, and that's you again, and uh, in a very uh, intentional way of studying your word. And I pray as we look at um, a section of text that, is, that contains some of the most uh, controversial uh, text in the Bible that you can help us see as we go over 30,000 foot view what you're trying to communicate uh, to your people, and that we'll see more of who you are. We love you, and in Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, so this text we're going to go over uh, is going to be Jesus's 
last bit of teaching. He's going to end his teaching ministry. We saw him for, uh, in, in the beginning of Luke, uh, him in kind of adolescence and growing up, that he is slowly growing and he's learning because in his fully humanness, he has to learn these things. Obviously, we see his fully godness as well, but he did have to learn uh, Learn, this, learn the scriptures. And some of us are like, why would he have to learn this? He wrote them, right? But like he went to the temple and he sat and he learned and he discussed and he grew. And then there's a point where he um, is, is uh, he's tempted, he's baptized, and then he goes into ministry and he goes and he essentially, he teaches and he has miraculous signs and teaches and miraculous signs over and over again. So he, he teaches stuff and then he affirms it with uh, miracles. And then all the while, throughout that, he is, he is fulfilling Old Testament prophecies, uh, which would convince us, beyond a reasonable doubt, that he is the promised Messiah coming to save the world and uh, humanity from sin. And then through that teaching and miraculous uh, events and teaching and miraculous events, we get to this point now where he's going to conclude the teaching ministry. And what CJ is going to pick up with next week is... Uh, is his walk to the cross, essentially. And so this is how it concludes. Let's take a look at how it develops. This is verse 5 in chapter 21. Verse 5 in chapter 21 of Luke. If you are concerned, actually, about, like, I want a more in-depth teaching on this section, you would go back to our Matthew series, which is the cross-reference section of this text, and that'll be in April. So you'd have to go back to April 2021, and you'd find uh, the Olivet Discourse uh, sermons, and you would, uh, you would go ahead and, and listen to those, and those are more in-depth teaching. But remember, for the sake of this series, we're trying to stay 30,000 feet above it, see what Luke's doing, so then we can dive into Acts and really study the book of Acts. So here we go. Uh, Matthew 24, Mark 13 are the cross-reference section to this, which is Luke chapter 21, verse 5. Let's read. Some of the, his disciples began talking about the majestic stonework of the temple and the memorial decorations on the wall. But Jesus said, The time is coming when all these things will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Teacher, they asked, when will this happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to take place? What Jesus just prophesied was a radical prediction. Okay? If somebody said, hey, Cornerstone Building is going to burn down someday. We could be like, most likely. Like, it wouldn't take us much to wrap our minds around this building catching fire for some reason. Or even an earthquake knocking it down. But when we think about the temple that's being referred to, we have to really understand what this structure is. It is the apple of this countryside's eye. It was a, a structure that took, I think it was 46 years, 46 years to build. Now, and this isn't like, I know some of us have dealt with contractors and things here in Ione, okay? This isn't like that, where it's like, we'll be done in 30 days. You're like, so 62? <laughs> this is like, Hard work, king, having slaves, work and work and work and work. And now, take a look at this. I, I'm, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, right? Because we're trying to stay high. But I just can't help but 
help us wrap our minds around what's happening. Huge structure, 46 years to build. Some of the interior white marble stones were 67 feet long, 7 feet high, and 9 feet wide. How do you even move that? Let me tell you a quick story. I made a mistake, and let me, let me share my mistake so you don't make it in the future. I was pouring some cement. I got one of these little dolly semi-truck things, or not semi-truck, concrete truck things, little tow things from Ace. I took it, and I poured what I needed to pour, and there was some left in the little mixer, right? We all have that. Chances of using it all is very slim. So I'm like, you know what I'll do? I'll just pour it into a little tiny pile. And then I'll just pick that pile up and throw it into a trailer someday when I go to the dump. I've never experienced something uh, so delusional in my life. I, first off, I thought I had uh, sprayed some water in there that would make it weaker, which apparently just strengthened it to like it's the strongest material ever made. And, and when I pour it, because I'd watered it down, it turns into like a tectonic plate floating in my yard. And then I think that I can just lift this up. That's not going to happen. I jackhammer it into smaller areas. And I think at least now I can pick them up. I still can't pick these things up. And at one point, I legitimately, I don't know if you've ever gotten yourself into one of these moments where you're like, you're going to prove to yourself that you can. And so you get a hold of that concrete chunk. And you're like, it will be in the back. My trailer's like this high. It's not like where I got to get it way up here. Just this high. And I am rolling that thing up my body onto the fender, scratching everything up, bending it, trying to get it up there. And as I'm trying to roll it into it, it keeps sliding further down the side of the trailer. And I'm trying to get it up there. And I almost like had to go to the hospital. I almost blew out my hernia for a second time. Imagine. And that's like, you know, so like if you watch my, so I have uh, surveillance cameras on my house. And if you would have watched that, it would have been like, you know, like, like the three stooges all in one trying to get a cement thing into. And it's like, it's like this big. It's not even that big. Imagine this, okay? This is white marble stone, 67 feet long, 7 feet high, 9 feet wide. And they're moving these around and somehow constructing a building out of a bunch of these. Obviously, there's smaller ones as well. And so you're like, that is just so massive. How could you possibly take down a building like that that took 46 years to put up? Not 46 days, not 46 months, 46 years. And then on the outside of it, this is how majestic it was. It was the apple of the eye. It was the strongest fortress in the area. It was the one thing that if somebody came in and destroyed everything, at least they couldn't touch the temple. I didn't even know this. I don't know how this, you know, like in all my money, I mean years that I spent at a, a Bible college, I can't believe I never, you know, had this actually stored away in my brain. There were gold sheets on the outside of this temple. Gold sheets. And it was so much so that secular historians as well as scripture speaks about that when you would look at this temple, that if the sun was in the right place, you literally couldn't look at it because the reflection would be so bright. And it's almost like there was so much glory coming off of this building that you couldn't even look directly at it. And then as the disciples are looking at it and deciding that they're going to discuss right now how beautiful and majestic and strong this building is. Jesus says there's going to be a day where there's not one stone left upon another. What's being claimed here is just, it would literally have to be miraculous that something like that happens to this building. 
And many people probably immediately went to, this must be metaphorical for something else. There's no way this can actually happen. In AD 70, it's a very monumental time in church history, um, as well as history in general. In AD 70, uh, that prophecy was fulfilled. It was completely destroyed. The Romans destroyed Jerusalem as well as the temple. Now, what we're about to continue reading, by the way, is continued talk about what will happen to the temple and to Jerusalem and what the people will do and what the advice of the Father in heaven is and how to engage and live within that time. Um, I will say this in the beginning because I don't want to keep addressing it. Uh, if you want to know, uh, see, let's, let me get the verse reference for you. 32. Take a moment, go to 32. If you, ha- if you have a Bible or device open, go to 32. It says this. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place. And that's going to be confusing as we go through that. And it is a big source of contention. Not that there's no remedies to this, or no reconciliation to this text, or no harmonization for this text, but that there are various ways to look at this, which is why this is part of the reason why there is so much discrepancy in different views in eschatology, which is the end things. It's because of passages like this. Now, if you want to know what my thoughts are on this, and what stance I take on this, you'd have to go back into April 2021 and listen to that sermon series because there's about four weeks where we stay in the Olivet Discourse in 2021 from Matthew, and I talk through this stuff, and I break up the passage about what means what where and things like that. But there's probably two or three uh, legitimate ways to understand this passage, but I don't believe the meaning of it actually changes at all, and that's the important part. So let's start. Towards the top again, we ended in verse 7. So let's start reading in verse 8 and continue on. He replied, remember the question, that's important. Verse 7 is the question. Teacher, they asked, when will all this happen? What sign will show us that the things are about to take place? Because it will be so monumental. It will be so, so crazy to see this actually happen. How will we know this is about to happen? He replied, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and saying the time has come. But don't believe them. And when you hear of wars and insurrections, don't panic. Yes, these things must take place first, but the end won't follow immediately. Then he added, nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes, and there will be famines, and there will be plagues in many lands, and there will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, there will be a time of great persecution. You will be dragged into synagogues and prison, and you will stand trial before kings and governors because you are my followers. They ask, how will we know this happens? And then it speaks of trials and tribulations and wars and earthquakes and miraculous signs from heaven, right? And and whether you go to church or not, actually, you might not be able to quote the reference, but you kind of know these things are in here. You ever heard somebody like, man, that's that's like biblical. When something's really bad, nasty words, like that's biblical right there. Or some Armageddon thing, like that's biblical. What they're referring to is when the Bible speaks of end times things. Uh, I think sometimes then we also 
in good faith, accidentally, read into things. Um, I've had several people in the last two years, mainly since the pandemic, tell me about how the pandemic is part of the plagues. Or that the earthquakes, there's more earthquakes now than ever. And, there's, and it's just, the, the amount of earthquakes is just astronomical compared to how they were. Well, I did some research just for the sake of earthquakes. By the way, I'm not sure COVID is what the Bible is talking about. But what about the earthquakes? Are there a bunch of earthquakes that are just out of control? Like a thousand times the amount of earthquakes. And here's some information that I found. Um, I went to very reputable sources, and this is what we have found. They have been able to document a ton more earthquakes. The reason is because they've developed technology to detect lesser earthquakes. Does that make sense? And so... They say, yeah, like we actually have on record a lot more earthquakes. But the reason for that is, is that we built machines that can t detect smaller earthquakes. And the more and more and more. And so before they used to just hypothetically say they could detect up to, uh, you know, a, a, a three magnitude earthquake. So this part isn't true. This is to help wrap our minds around it. And so obviously three and up is what they're counting as earthquakes. Well, they developed technology that can detect a, a 1.0 earthquake. Well, that's going to make a lot more earthquakes, not because there's more happening, but they're able to record more. Does that make sense? And then also taking into consideration that they're putting more of these sensors out there all over the place, sensing more of the earthquakes. Not that more are happening, but they're able to document more. How many of you guys remember an earthquake? So I did some research. I think 2019 was our last big earthquake we had. I think that we've felt some in the last year even, because, you know, everybody's on Facebook freaking out. But... Uh, last big earthquake was in Ridgecrest, California in 2019, I believe. And I went through and I wasted some of my life watching some of the footage from it. But uh, what a crazy experience. The firm foundation, not spiritually, right? We know that's the Bible. The firm foundation by which we stand on begins to shake. And as we understand what's happened, we realize that there's these floating tectonic plates out there like the cement in my yard, that as they move and rub against each other, the whole world seems to shake. Houses and buildings fall down. Pools empty out. Your driveway cracks. And for safety purposes, you get underneath the table. <laughs> I was watching one of the news anchors during uh, one of the earthquakes, and uh, there's two of them. And the earthquake's going, and, they're, and one of them's trying to stay calm. The other one's trying to stay calm, too. And eventually, they're talking, and one of them is still talking, but getting underneath the table, and just slowly disappears <laughs> underneath the table. There. But there will be wars, there will be earthquakes, there will be famines, plagues, and miraculous signs. That's what's told to us. Is coming. The question is, though, and this is to keep in mind, you have to go back to Matthew, but to keep in mind, the question being asked is, how will we know when the temple is going to be destroyed? Well, that's being answered, but also something's being brought up about when the Lord will return. And so understanding which uh, descriptions go with which thing is important, what the word generations mean, and was there in some way the kingdom 
continues in a much greater way in AD 70? Or was Jesus talking about when he returns on final judgment? Right? So we would have to work through all of that. And that's very difficult. But let's continue to read through the passage because we're seeing these things that are happening. I do believe that regardless, check this out. So if you are somebody who, say, who says, I believe that these things are referring to AD 70. And so we're not looking for wars and earthquakes and plagues and, and, and things yet. Then I would say, I believe these same difficulties, similar difficulties are going to continue because 1 Peter 4 says that we're going to share in the sufferings of Christ. That means all believers in some way are going to share in the sufferings of Christ. So I believe that we are still going to be sharing in the sufferings of Christ. What that means is there's going to be persecution in various ways and difficulties in the pursuit of the Lord. Maybe in different countries, far more than we'll ever experience here in our lifetime. I don't know what two, three hundred, four hundred years looks like here for our great, great, great grandkids. But I believe that these things are going to continue. So check this out. This is verse 13 now. And think about, but, it kind of starts out with but, so it's going to be referring to the same section of text above. So all these bad things are going to be happening, these scary things, the literal earth is shaking, there are sicknesses and famines, and there are going to be struggles and persecution, which we've already agreed now is going to happen throughout our life, throughout the time before Jesus returns to claim his people. And then verse 13 says this, but this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. So don't worry in advance about how to answer the charges against you. For I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. Even those closest to you, your parents, brothers, relatives, and friends will betray you. They will even kill some of you. And everyone will hate you because you are my fathers, but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will win souls. So something to keep in mind here. It just said that even, even some of them will kill some of you. And then it says, not a hair on your head will be harmed, right? Will perish. So there's a principle taught throughout Scripture constantly that human beings will struggle to grasp our entire existence. And that is this. That they can take your body, but they cannot damage your soul. And so whether you are in Afghanistan or Syria, under great persecution, maybe even death, they cannot take your soul. There's one person in charge of your soul. That is the God of the universe. And that's difficult for us to remember. Now take us here in our circumstance, the same truth is going to have an impact on our life. These difficulties are difficulties, right? Remembering that in difficult times, it's not a time to bail necessarily, but these are times that we begin to tell people about who Jesus is. The more difficult things get, I believe the more people search for hope. And although I don't believe that, the, that COVID is necessarily the prophecy fulfilled of the plagues, I do believe we saw something there. And it's documented, and you can never take it away. And that is this, that in the midst of a plague, a pandemic, people began searching, who is God? You can't take that away. That's been documented. One of, the, one of the top searches on YouTube as churches closed was, how do I study the Bible? We saw more questions come up about who God is. 
Cornerstone specifically saw church growth through the pandemic. People are curious about, okay, this is out of control, big pandemic, everything's out of sorts right now, uh, what things really matter? And one of the things that things got boiled down to is who is God? And so this, we can actually see it. We just live through being able to see a glimpse, maybe a shadow of this truth. That that is the time to tell them about who Jesus is. And so if it's not a time to shrink back, we're going to tell people about Jesus. The worry is that we're going to get persecuted in other countries. They are literally drugged before, uh, you know, um, courts and imprisoned and killed and radical groups slaughter them. And the comfort is, but not a hair of your head will perish. And if we take that literally, we're like, how can that possibly be true? And what we realize is that what the comfort that is supposed to be drawn from this is that what really matters, your soul's condition, cannot be changed by them. Verse 20. And when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know that the time of its destruction has arrived. Now that is... uh, you would expect that, right? We don't really have to like dig too deep on that, right? When you see the city of which the temple is going to be destroyed, it's surrounded by its enemies. You're like, oh, ding, 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 here it comes. Okay, so there's not like, that's not figurative necessarily. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. Those in Jerusalem must get out. And those out in the country should not return to the city. For those will be days of God's vengeance And prophetic words of Scripture will be fulfilled. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. For there will be disaster in the land and great anger against this this people. They will be killed by the sword or sent away as captives to all the nations of the world. And Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the period of the Gentiles comes to an end. And there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And here... On earth, the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers in the heaven will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. So when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up, for your salvation is near. Stand and look up. This destruction that was prophesied about the temple in Jerusalem happened. We know it because it was documented, and we would suspect it would be documented because it would be such a great event in history. Josephus uh, speaks of this time, and he says what we just read was about Um, advice to flee when this happens. Why? Because you will not win. Just flee. Josephus says it like this. It was like swimmers leaving a sinking ship. That's what this area looked like. Like swimmers leaving a sinking ship. They just like dispersed. Verse 29. Then he gave them this illustration. Notice the fig tree or any other tree. When the leaves come out, you know 
without being told that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things take place, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. When people ask about how it all ends, which happens often, it seems, what we are told in those three Gospels, among other places, are these signs of when it will be near. And we are told over and over and over again, you will not know the day or the hour, but we'll know when it's near. Why? Because it'll look like this. These things will be happening. Just like when leaves come under the fig tree, you're going to be like, it's about to have fruit. When these things are happening, we can say it's about time for the Lord to come. The problem with that is what does near mean? It depends. If, if this happens 100,000 years from now, what is near? Another 10,000 years? If it begins tomorrow, is it four years? Here's the truth we've got to take away from all of this stuff. And this is how you humbly enter into eschatology. Is knowing that if God wanted us to know exactly how everything ended, he would have told us. If God wanted us to know the day or the hour, he would have told us. But instead, what he says is, hey, this is what you can expect in the future. So some people believe that more and more and more things are going to get better and better and better because Jesus is reigning and as in his kingship right now, things will get better and better and better. And some of us believe that things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And then tribulation is going to come and more difficult times are going to come. And we don't know. Are we going to live through the tribulation or not live through the tribulation? Are we going to be resurrected before or after the tribulation? Those are good questions, but the, the purpose here in staying 30,000 feet is that I believe it's teaching that things are going to get difficult and crazy. Don't, don't cower back in those moments. So those are the times where people need to know about Jesus. We all get that, right? I'll give you one example, and I'm not going to spend too much time on it because it's kind of a sore subject. If you've ever experienced something absolutely horrible in your life, typically followers of Jesus, although still have questions during those times, experience some unique closeness with Christ that they've never experienced before. And I believe that that same thing has the potential to happen to the entire world. That as if things get really, really bad, whether it's certain sections of the world or the whole world at the same time, however that happens, that when things get like that, just like we saw a little, little tiny sliver of with this pandemic, people are going to want to know, I need to know about this God thing first. Oftentimes, statistically, when do people who are Christians when they're young and then they leave the church, when do they come back? When they have kids. Why? It's a moment in life where you realize, I need to know the truth. When things begin to end, you're at the end of your life. The world is out of control. Persecution is knocking on your door. What are the important things you need to know? I need to know the truth. And the advice here that is given is don't cower back. That's the time. That's the right time to be spreading the gospel. And then verse 34. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap. For that day will come upon everyone living on earth. Keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Eschatologically, that last verse has a lot of weight. But you'd have to go and listen to the other sermons. But it says this, so watch out, right? 
Don't let your hearts be dulled. And there's two things that happen. One is carousing and drunkenness. That would be kind of the side of, let's just go, it's all going to end anyways. Let's just party, have a good time. Self-indulge. Indulge yourself. Whatever you want, give it to you. Life is short, right? Have you ever heard that before? Millions of times you've heard that from our culture. Life is short. You deserve it. Get what you want. Fulfill yourself. Here's another way to wrongly respond to these things. Worries. I swear. It is like we keep that one in our back pocket all the time. Things start going haywire. We're like, you know what? You know what time it is? It's worry time. And we go to that so quick. And then the Bible says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about those things. Right? Turn worry into seeking the Lord. That's wonderful, good, godly advice. So I don't know which side you go to, right? Is it like self-indulgent, get everything I want, retail therapy, go party, get drunk, go do my thing, live my best life now because I'm going to die soon? Or is it to go like get in the fetal position in the corner of your house and just worry? Verse 37, every day Jesus went to the temple to teach and each evening he returned to spend the night on the Mount of Olives. The crowds gathered at the temple early each morning to hear him. So he continues to go and teach and do these things. For a short period of time, because we know what's going to happen, he's going to continue to head to Jerusalem, head to Jerusalem, because he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's going to enter in, triumphant entry, and that last week begins. Teaching ministry is ending. So what do we do with all of this? Um, I believe that there are nine exhortations in this text that we can look at, and it is it does the text justice for us to look at those. That's probably not the only intended meaning of this text, but looking at the exhortations, because usually what we go to is this. So what do we do, Brian? So when all this stuff starts happening, in the end, like what do we do? And we looked at a lot of that, but let's just break it down into nine exhortations. Do not follow false leaders. The Bible talks about we are going to want to go to where people are saying the things our ears itch for. Don't follow false leaders. Even if a gospel message is very close, it even comes on the tongues of angels, but it is different from the gospel that you hear, that you hear now. It is to be accursed. It is no gospel at all. Not part of it. It is no gospel at all. Do not follow false leaders. Do not be frightened by the awesome events associated with the end times in apocalyptic literature. We don't need to be frightened. We're on the right side of this. Don't be frightened. Anytime these things happen and we're like, I'm just going to self-indulge, instead glorify God. Anytime I'm going to sit in the corner and worry, instead pray. Do not worry about your legal defense when you are persecuted and face legal charges because you're a Christian witness. Here's the reality. We all know this. Times continue to change in what's acceptable and not and what's legal and not. Don't worry about it. You're going to be chasing your tail. If we ever end up in court over this, pray. And what the Bible says is that he'll give us the words we need in the moment. And that's the best thing we can ask for. That's a gift. 
right? Who would say, no, God, I don't want your words in the moment that are perfect. What I want to do is study and study and study for an ever-changing dynamic of court. No. That's a gift. Four, when all turns against you, persevere and take a firm stand. Five, flee Jerusalem when it is besieged. Six, when the final apocalyptic events, the portents in heaven and on earth, do take place, take heart at your coming redemption when the Son of Man returns. Take heart. Seven, recognize also that these things point to the approach of the kingdom of God. Eight, be assured that throughout the apocalyptic period, the Lord's word endures. It's not going to change. There's not things that like, oh, he's adapted over time. I thought this, I banked on this, and it's not true. God's word is the same today, tomorrow, and forever. Be watchful and pray so that you will come through all these things in a way the Son of Man will approve. That goes all the way back through all of these parables, right? The king is going to leave, the master is going to leave, and he's going to return. Live in such a way that the king will approve. I want to conclude with a uh, verse here in Colossians chapter 3. Set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil, desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, that, wrath, that the wrath of God is coming. There's this idea here in Colossians and also in our text, which I'll go to in just a moment here. We set our minds and hearts on the things above. If we go back to verse 27, or sorry, 28, it says, So when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up. That's what our text says. And that means a lot of things. We don't have time for all of them. But think about... The, the events that are happening, where they're happening, where we're called to look and how we're supposed to engage in that, look up. Set your minds and hearts on the things above. And the reality is that when we look at eschatology, the majority of scholars and commentators all across the board agree on this. We have to agree that Jesus comes back for his people. How and the timing of all that matters less. It's not not important, but it matters less than us agreeing on that Jesus promised to return and he will. Let's pray. Father, we do trust in your promises. We trust in the things you have said. We trust in the, your word that you have given us that is sufficient. We trust that as uh, your word speaks of all these things in the end, the eschatology, that there are things that are difficult to, to know quite how they end. And the implication is that when you are intentionally not revealing to your people the day or the hour, there's going to be some level of uncertainty as to exactly how it ends. But what you want us to know is very clear. You will come back for your people that there is justice, that there is judgment, and that we need to be cleansed and shielded and forgiven by the work of Christ on the cross. God, uh, I pray that 
and whatever level of persecution we, we get here or whatever uh, sharing in the sufferings of Christ looks like for us, that we will take these words of stand and look up or set our hearts and minds on the things above that will keep our eyes on you, knowing that your truth is forever. It says that many things will disappear, but your word will never disappear. We love you. And in Jesus Christ's name, we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Cornerstone Church of Ione. We hope that you found it encouraging and challenging. Please feel free to share this podcast with friends and family, and we will see you all next week.